This is the Unstacked Startups Podcast, where we have real conversations with tech founders, leaders, VCs, and early employees of top technology companies. This is Elon Sachs. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to share this episode with all of you today. It's a unique conversation. Um, we have John Ruffalo on the podcast. He's the founder and managing partner at Mavericks Private Equity. But it's unique. This conversation is unique, not because of his successful investing career and business career. You know, he was an early investor in Shopify, uh, an early investor in Hootsuite. He built Omer's Ventures. He's been a tech, you know, VC leader in the Canadian tech startup ecosystem for three decades. And we touch on all of that. But what was truly inspiring was the way he has persevered from a horrific uh, accident three years ago. He's an avid cyclist. He was out on a beautiful day and he was hit by a transportation truck that in his words, shattered his vertebrae into dust. He basically broke every bone in his body, had organ damage and barely survived. Um, this is a story about human perseverance and much more. John, you're a Canadian startup VC legend. I must say, maybe not even just Canadian legend. You're a you're a global VC legend. Uh, appreciate you having you know come on the podcast today. I'd like to get your insight, your story on how you've come to be such a you know important part of this ecosystem, and how you built Omer's Ventures from the ground up. Maybe let's start there. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, uh, Elan and. Uh... Uh, legends a little strong, but uh, <laughs> I, I am certainly an old timer. Uh, that's a much more fair uh, comment. But um, l l you know, my my involvement in the sector actually full time started in 1992. So I am 31 years in, and all that does is it affords me a little bit of the better understanding of the history of where we are in the particular cycle. And I've seen the ups and the downs. And I, ne I personally never get too high and I never get too low because you've got to identify the cycles. Now, um, you know, I started off through a consulting career and um, what really happened was after the last uh, bust in uh, in 2001. Uh, by the time the VCs ran out of money, which was about 2005, the sector just bottomed out. We got the financial crisis in Canada, could not on its own through private capital resurrect itself. And I was working from a public policy perspective with uh, the federal government on how to rejuvenate and kickstart it. And through that process, Omers had reached out to me and much to my surprise, had uh, had a desire to go right back in and support innovation, but they didn't know how. And so that's how I kind of went to advising them. And then they kind of go, well, you know, we really didn't want you to be an advisor. We wanted you to build it. And to be honest, uh, I said no for six months because I, I enjoyed uh, where I was, but it was really based on a true opportunity to help resurrect it. So if there's any credit, first of all, credit goes 
to Omers and Michael Nobrega, who was the guy that had the guts to do it. Um, but it was the first positive movement back into the sector. And to be honest, no one cared until about, I'd say three years later, 2014, when they started to realize, uh-oh, uh, this is not bullshit. This guy's actually making real money. John, you've you know, you've seen the startup ecosystem, that entrepreneurial spirit essentially grow over the past few decades, over the course of your career. You know, maybe is there a key milestone that stands out where, you know, over the last couple of decades, you say, wow, this is, this is for real. We're moving in the right direction. And, you know, what challenges and opportunities do you foresee for the Canadian startup ecosystem moving forward? There's three pillars of success, access to capital, access to talent, and then access to customers and markets. Back in 2010, all three were broken. And I'd say over the last decade, there's been a lot of effort trying to fix the access to capital to the point that I would have declared, I did declare by 2019, the problem was over, largely. Uh, that problem might restart, by the way, uh, now with the, the very tight fundraising market. But let's just say that was a monstrous difference compared to the past. And on the access to talent, we have the highest level of quality of talent in the world. Anybody who says otherwise has not been around the world. One of the things that's starting to bother me a little bit, back again over 10 years ago, our top talent in the universities were leaving to go to US-based positions, either in the US or actually US-based in Canada. And because a lot of the Canadian startups uh, are starting to show lots of weakness, I worry that we're going to run into that problem again. And in which case, here we are building the talent and then losing the talent and perhaps permanently losing the talent when they move to the United States. So that's a big concern of mine. And the last area is the access to customers and markets. It's important for us in Canada in that most tech companies have a very, very tiny market in Canada. And with the whole world going through a complete reshuffling and we're going through a global disorder, I used to say, okay, you got to think about Europe, you got to think about Asia. You know what? You, and you might need to think about North and South America now. What I'm just describing has not been seen for approximately 80 years. So no one alive today really remembers that. I certainly don't. And reverting back to what the world looked like pre-World War II is what we're re-entering. And that really shifts uh, the, the, the sands so dramatically. We haven't seen how it's unfolding, but I'd say that is the thing to really watch. So in in light of that context, if you're a, you know, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you're, uh, let's say you're a young entrepreneur, you're, you're 20 to, you know, 25 years old, you're in Canada, 
and you're starting a technology business. Mm-hmm. How do you think about, you know, is it blinders on, stay focused, build, build, build? How do you, how do you, how do you be aware of that? Think about how you build a great business or are there, does it affect how you would build a business or the way you look at scaling out of curiosity? You need to think about business, academia, government. Those are the three big. And I think when in, in Canada and North America, we, we try to have this separation of government and business. It's just not true. Uh, and in the intangible world, unfortunately, the whole government part is vital to understand. The greatest companies in the world, that most of which are in the United States from an intangibles perspective, whether it's Google, Facebook, Amazon, there's no secret that they, uh, you know, have thousands of lobbyists on on staff in order to wire those rules in their favor. So the American style is we believe in freedom of, you know, uh, of, of business, free enterprise for you. But for us, no, no, no. We're going to wire the playing field so that it favors us all the time. So as an entrepreneur, you better understand that. For sure. It's, it's interesting. I think that, um, honestly, I think no matter, you know, your career, whether that's you're an entrepreneur in tech or, you know, you're a lawyer or whatever, I think it's, it's critical to, to read and to read and understand what's going on in the world and make it a part of your daily hygiene and, uh, you know, and read from different sources and from different sides and from, you know, and, and try to have a holistic point of view. I think it's a very fair concern that you brought up that you have amazing talent coming out of the University of Toronto, out of universities in Montreal and, and McGill and HSA and UCAM and, and UBC and wherever else, you know, across Canada. And um, they can sit from their, you know, comfortable confines here in Canada and work at a venture-backed company from Sequoia based out of San Francisco. And, and a lot of them are taking roles like that. And, um, you know, as opposed to, and that's, that's fine. And that's, that's great. But from a Canadian perspective, how do you leverage or how do you get that great talent to help build great companies here in Canada from the ground up? And, you know, so now you have talent that, uh, that say wants to stay here in Canada. Um, we did before 2010 have a lot of them uh, work for US-based companies in particular, but we're staying in Canada. And it's okay from a, um, uh, I'd say a short-term perspective because they get to train perhaps, you know, at some best practices of companies and learn. Where where it wasn't okay was a lot of those companies were using it as a mechanism to siphon off the people and move them over into the US. And that's been a strategy and that's not okay because we then potentially lose, you know, here we are, they grow up here, we've trained them, we use our taxpayer dollars, and now we're starting to 
get the fruits of their labor and they move off. That's that's a bad uh, public policy issue. Now, what was then happening was for those who didn't get siphoned off, um, it was competing for talent in the Canadian-based startups. Now, this is where it gets a little uh, dicier from the perspective of um, you have talent that is more entrepreneurial and I'm going to use generally speaking, generally speaking, they ultimately make more money and amass greater wealth if they are uh, employees of the Canadian headquartered startup and want to take that risk. But it's at the expense of lower total cash compensation. So a number of folks, and let's call a spade a spade, prefer the security of higher cash compensation with lower equity payout. And it's okay, but that's a reflection, not all the time, but a lot of the time, of the risk appetite for folks. Now, it was okay when there was enough Canadian startups. The problem now that we, and by the way, I always said it and I will still say, the benefit to this country, the long-term benefit of working for U.S.-based startups is just not there. It's a good training ground, but all of the value of your IP, in essence, your intangibles, get siphoned off into another country. It's not good for Canada. And jobs is no longer the real value in an intangibles economy. It's the actual intangibles. So it's not good ultimately, number one. Number two, let me go back to my consulting career. When the tide turns, and it always does, you start laying off your employees. Guess where you always start first? your foreign subsidiaries. And being in the HQ is always the smartest place to be as an individual over the long haul. You're an avid uh, cyclist. You were in an accident back a, a handful of years ago. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? And um, I, I think your story is incredibly inspiring. It's, a, I think, a symbol of... Uh, resilience and strength, but would love to hear, you know, from you what what happened and what transpired afterwards. I was regularly going out midweek for, you know, about a hundred k uh, rides, and it was wonderful and allows you to clear your head. And because I'm an experienced cyclist, I'm actually paranoid cycling in the city because I don't trust anybody, and so I, I have a great route how to get out of the city, north of the city. And then once you're north of the city, you can just blast and and feel good that someone's not going to hit you. And in this particular day, and it was a beautiful day, um, a, uh, a an eighteen wheeler had just unloaded its uh, its its uh, uh, stuff that it had, and uh, I guess didn't somehow see me which is bizarre because this road that i'm at i was going from the beaches in toronto to stoville and the road is a pickering town line it's straight as an arrow it's not uh treed very much and it was a beautifully sunny day so there was no visibility issues 
the only visibility issues is that it's probably not a good idea to be looking at your phone while you're driving a fucking 18 wheeler. And that's what this uh, guy did. And he's right on my back wheel. And I thought that this person was trying to intimidate me and I'm right on the side of the road. And before I could react, I felt, uh, or I heard the squealing of the air brakes going on and what happened slammed on the brakes and the, 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 the trailer jackknife like a whip and it hit me right in the back and it actually exploded my vertebrae into dust. It was gone. The vehicle was at 80 to 90, it was driving about 80 to 90 kilometers an hour, but the, 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 the whip like effect, uh, uh, flung me, uh, and I landed on the ground and it broke, uh, you know, frankly, everything other than my limbs, my pelvis was split in six pieces, but I had a lot of organ damage. Uh, I lost half of my blood. So they rode me in an ambulance. I'm awake on my back, on my broken back the whole time with, a, you know, my pelvis and all of my ribs broken in two places. And then the moment I got to hospital, they induced me into a coma for six days to, uh, calm my body down so anyways long story short there uh uh it was uh it it truly was and i didn't appreciate it until he told me afterwards that they wouldn't even tell my wife that they had expected me to die uh uh within the first 48 hours uh but then by hour 36 uh, they, they said, well, we're going to, we're going to try it. And, um, you know, I, I had pulled through. Here's the irony of the whole thing. My partner, um, who's an avid cyclist, uh, was given my Garmin because they wanted to download any of the data to see if they could ascertain anything because they brought charges against the, uh, truck driver. And he downloaded everything and he said to me, John, I, I really hate to tell you, but you broke all of your personal best that day. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, that's the worst thing you could tell your cyclist. I had a great, I was blasting and I felt awesome. So anyways, that's the story. Wow. Wow. So, <clears throat> so there's a, realistic chance you don't make it you know full stop you yeah. do make it yeah you know you are here today to tell the story you've built another business from the ground up mm -hmm. how, how the hell does that happen well like like you know you, you come out of the coma you start to put your life back together, what's, what the heck's going through your mind? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very tough. I mean, I, when I got out of the coma and they removed the intubation, the first thing they do tell you, or that I was told was that I'll never move my legs nor walk again. And, you know, you get told that and, you know, my, immediate reaction in the, in the nurse left because she, you know, she knew that was very sensitive. Uh, the first reaction, I, mean, I was with my wife when she said that was, you know, 
like, fuck you. Don't you fucking ever tell me that. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, God damn it. Uh, like, what, what am I going to do? And, um, you know, and I'd say having two young kids at the time and reflecting and saying, you know, they're too young to be fatherless and I need to get them through the next phase of their life as they go complete high school and go off into university and I can't, I can't die for them. So that was really the impetus for me to say, okay, you know what? It's only my legs. It's not, you know, my, my, my brain was the big thing. And I just said, you know, uh, let's just see that there's, there should be no reason I'm still the same guy, just a little less mobile. That's inspiring, no doubt, I'm sure, to your family and to your children. It's inspiring to uh, to myself as I hear you talk about it. And um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, very, very inspiring to anyone who has been knocked down and... Uh, and and who's looking for inspiration on how to fight back. So when this all happened, you were fundraising for Mavericks. You 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 fight back and m- maybe tell me a little more about Mavericks and why 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 did you start Mavericks, you know, and and what are you guys trying to do? When I formed Mavericks and looking at where where will be the issues on the future of Canada? I mentioned the three pillars. I was concerned that the access to capital issue will become a very big issue when the market blows up. I had theorized that the market will will implode and those survivors that can get to the other side will require capital and it would be a good opportunity to have this growth capital available for them because uh, funds providing checks in the, call it the 75 to $100 million range weren't really available in Canada and you had to go to a pension fund and a lot of folks didn't want to do that. So that was the whole, there was an actual, it was the greatest mismatch of the supply and demand of capital certainly in Canada. In fact, in the United States as well, was this growth private equity hole. That's why we had started it. Now, what was the thesis? The thesis was this global disorder is coming and the world is going to revert back to what it was like before World War II. And uh, so we expected this and technology was going to be the way that companies that that were going to be the ultimate winners and growing organically either needed to be technology companies, but more importantly, needed to leverage technology. And so that was really the thesis. And I think that, you know, uh, the reason why we were able to raise so much capital, at least from a Canadian standards perspective, on a first time fund was that the investors actually saw the same thing. And they saw that there was no one in Canada really positioned around this global disorder. 
And so that's, that was really how Mavericks was, was founded. And, and, you know, it took 18 months longer because of COVID, but in fact, in hindsight, it was okay because we weren't going to deploy any capital anyway, because I wasn't going to do it at, at market peaks like that. John, you've, you've raised, you know, the first fund for Mavericks, you know, that's the wheels are in motion there. Um, you know, you over the course of your career have worked with, uh, and invested in incredible entrepreneurs, um, you know, just at a, you know, high level, I, I, I know, you know, you were an investor in Shopify and Hootsuite and Hopper and, you know, many other incredible stories and incredible, you know, founding teams and, and everything else. It, it, over the course of that career and working with, you know, these companies, are there common traits you see in entrepreneurs uh, or, or common traits that they share that you've observed? Yeah, you know, you you kind of raised it earlier uh, was really this resiliency and persistence characteristic. You know, and in, in fact, it's kind of funny that here I was investing in founders and starting to see a, a discernible pattern. And lo and behold, I needed to actually live what I just said uh, for the 10 years. And, you know, that was unintentional on my part. But when I said, you know, what's my goal? My goal is to walk against, you know, maybe not run a marathon, but walk so I can go get a coffee or hold my daughter's hand as I walk, you know, you know, on the beach. Uh, but that's my goal. And damned, uh, you know, I'm going to do it. I will have it done. I'm I'm now starting to leverage a little bit of technology in, in the form of bio, uh, biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, et cetera, to try to help that. But now let's take that to the entrepreneur. Those entrepreneurs that do have that same, like, if it kills me, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. I will do everything I can. Oh, and by the way, I will leverage technology in order to get me bigger, better, faster, stronger sort of thing. It's almost an identical parallel. And finding those entrepreneurs that will do that because every entrepreneur goes through a shitstorm. Everyone. And it's not a question of landing in the shitstorm because you will get there no matter how smart you are. It's how you react do you cower? Do you, do you, you know, panic and, or do you just double down and say, okay, I'm going to retrench. I'm going to go this way. Uh, I'm going to see what are the best alternatives. And as rocks are dropping down and becoming obstacles, and in some cases landing on top of you, do you, do you, figure out and adapt to get around the obstacles. Those are the characteristics. The problem as a, as an investor, honestly, it's really hard to assess that. And that's why the last number of years has been a lot of irresponsible investing because the, the VC in question only saw greed and said, 
you know, I really don't care. I just want to find the greater fool who will either fund it higher, I can take out a secondary or sell it, etc. You know, as opposed to saying, who's going to build a business for 100 years? I love, this is why I love Toby Lutke. First time I met him, you know, I'm going to build headquartered in Canada. I'm never going to leave uh, the headquarters out of Canada and I'm building a hundred year company. It's like, whoa. Oh, and by the way, I find it absolutely reprehensible that the artisanal entrepreneur cannot easily sell their stuff on the web. That's just wrong. He still believes that, right? He is, you know, like when I saw that, it, it took me, uh, I can't remember that. Our first conversation conversation was over coffee for two and a half hours. By the two and a half hours, like I fell in love with this guy, and we literally did the deal over a napkin. The biggest deal of my career at that time, which you know, I sort of breached the the uh, the uh, Omer's Act uh, and all the various protocols, and I had to get a little forgiveness from my CEO. Uh, after I did it, they got me so excited, but you can clearly see that. So, you know, when one of the last things I would say is, you know, what a true mark of a VC really is, you know, it's not seeing the future or not being a financial genius or all that crap that you hear. It's really about detecting pattern recognition. And the only way you can really detect it is by seeing as much deal flow as possible. That's your advantage, right? And you just never turn off that tap. And all of a sudden, these little patterns, and you start to see, wow, what what this entrepreneur said versus that entrepreneur. And then you correlate it and go, look, this one here you know, is much more successful or I invested in this one and I didn't see the red flags that were waving in front of me. That's what you really learn. And so hence, when I say this resistance, adaptability, persistence is really the single thread that seems to connect all of the great entrepreneurs that I invested in. Entrepreneurs are a unique breed and difficult to identify. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, but you've you've uh, you've managed to uh, to pick some good ones, that's for sure. Um, I guess maybe final question for you here, John. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you have to young entrepreneurs who are just starting out? What what do you th- what do you want them to hear? Being an entrepreneur is both the greatest and toughest challenge that you're ever going to face. But it does not only lead you perhaps to fulfillment, uh, and it could be financial fulfillment, but it is what this country needs. We've done a phenomenal job in the private sector to support and embrace the entrepreneurial class. And I just think you know, we need to have government and public policy support that success of the entrepreneur and put it at its rightful pedestal. And I think 
It is phenomenal. If you as an entrepreneur generate a billion dollars and you become a billionaire because that means the country has generated 100x times what you have just said that will enable us to pay for all of these wonderful social programs that we hold dear to our heart. The last thing I would say is if you're a young entrepreneur, try to surround yourself if you can with an ecosystem of a, of a great support network around you because fighting by yourself is extremely hard. You can't do it by yourself. Um, and it Canada is very welcoming from a support perspective, but you got to go out and you need to go and reach out and get it around you. That's great, John. Uh, very, very much appreciate you uh, coming on today. I think uh, incredible insight that uh, that you've given to our audience and um, and and a lot of inspiration as well. Um, and uh, uh, I can't wait um, to see you progress along your journey at Mavericks and personally. Um, so I, I certainly wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to the Unstacked Startups Podcast. If you enjoyed this, you might enjoy our free monthly newsletter by Unstacked Startups called Founder Mail. Sign up for free at foundermail.substack.com. This is Elon Sachs.